0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But a Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. from 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker The Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker The Hargan Family Killings early and ad free starting May 1st with a 48 hours plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. April 30, 2018. From Comedy
2: Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition.
1: our guest tonight, the poetry editor of The New Yorker, out with a new book on what it means to be brown. Kevin Young is joining us, everyone. <laughs> but first, the first, today, President Trump was at the White House hosting President Buhari of Nigeria. Although, let's be honest, Trump probably thought he was meeting with African Ray Charles. And <laughs> things got a little awkward at the press conference, because remember last year when Trump called African countries shitholes? Well, that came up.
2: Did you address his reported comments from earlier this year when he reportedly used vulgar language to describe uh, African nations?
0: Um, I'm not sure about, uh, uh, you know, the validity or whether that uh, allegation against the president was true or not. So the best thing for me is to keep quiet. We didn't discuss it. And you do have some countries that are in very bad shape and very tough places to live in.
1: As I said, (laughs) shitholes. Like, I like how Trump thinks he's making it better by saying the same thing, but just changing his language. It's like if he was in the Access Hollywood van again going, and then you grab them by the lady flower. And it is impressive that the Nigerian president tried not to say anything. It's almost like Trump forced him to sign an NDA. He was like, (laughs) I wish I could answer your question, but I've already spent the (laughs) $130,000. It's already gone. Sorry about that. All right, moving on to other news, many people have accused Paul Ryan of being a complete disaster as Speaker of the House, which is why so many politicians on both sides are happy to see him leave. But this weekend, Paul Ryan was like, uh, I'm not done yet. The House chaplain, Father Conroy, was fired by
0: Speaker Ryan. Father Conroy believes it's because of a specific prayer uh, back in November when he prayed for lawmakers to keep in mind economic inequities and disparities when it came to tax reform. May their efforts these days guarantee that there are not winners and losers under new tax laws, but benefits balanced and shared by all. Ryan told fellow Republicans Friday Conroy's ouster had nothing to do with a specific
1: prayer, but rather because he'd heard complaints, Conroy was not meeting lawmakers' spiritual needs. Wow. The house chaplain might have gotten fired for praying that poor people wouldn't get screwed over by the tax bill. Damn. I've never seen someone celibate get so hard. (laughs) But, but I guess, I guess in a way, I do agree that this priest was not meeting lawmakers' spiritual needs because have you seen the people in this Congress You don't need a priest, you need an exorcist. (laughs) He's probably walking through the Capitol like, be gone, demon, be gone. It's like, I'm Ted Cruz. Like I said, be gone, demon. (laughs) But let's move on. Over the past few months, we've covered multiple stories involving North Korea. And what's weird is that at one point, the stories switched from, we're all gonna die, to, we're all gonna live peacefully together. (laughs) And this weekend, North and South Korea took another big step in that direction the
0: leaders of North and South Korea stunned the world with their agreement to seek peace on the Korean peninsula after more than six decades of hostilities. Kim Jong-un has informed the South Korean president that he is prepared to abandon his nuclear weapons if the United States agrees to formally end the Korean War and promise not to invade his country.
1: That's right, it turns out all Kim Jong-un wants in exchange for getting rid of his nuclear weapons is a promise from Donald Trump, which is risky. No, I mean, a promise from Donald Trump is one of the most worthless things you could ask for. You might as well ask for tickets to one of Bill Cosby's upcoming shows. (laughs) And now, and now, although, although this was a summit about Kim Jong-un giving up some of his power, there were moments that reminded us that even without nukes, he still has plenty of dictator swag to spare.
0: As the day rolled on, more extraordinary images have continued. Kim's limousine, scooting back and forth across the dividing line, his personal bodyguards running alongside.
1: (laughs) Oh man, I'm sorry, man. You know you have too much power when your car has its own entourage. Come on, that's... (laughs) Like, how are you gonna make your bodyguards do synchronized jogging alongside your car? If anything, it makes you less safe, right? Because the car can only go as fast as these guys can run. And also, when you get to where you're going, now you've just got a team of bodyguards that are too tired to save your life. It's like, ah, look at he's got a gun. J- you jump behind me, you jump behind me, I'm tired. Like, I, like when I saw this, I was like, do they, do they have to do this all the time? Like, in the drive-through at Del Taco, they're still there with the guy? You know, I, I just like picturing these guys when Kim is trying to parallel park. You've just got nine guys with the car, just like, you're good, you're good. Okay, whoa, 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 you're good, you're good. Whoa, 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 you hit Jerry, you hit Jerry. But once the limo 500 was over, it was time for Kim Jong-un to get some exercise of his own.
0: The two leaders seemed to have an instant rapport the minute Kim Jong-un made history by becoming the first North Korean leader to step foot in the South. In a brief diplomatic dance, he invited President Moon to cross the military demarcation line back into the North.
1: Now, it may look funny, (laughs) but we just witnessed a giant moment in history. That's the first time those leaders have stepped foot in the other one's country. Like, you know there was a part of Kim Jong-un as well that just wanted to be like, now please, step into my country. Got him! I got him! (laughs) In fact, the summit put Kim in such a good mood that he made a huge change on the spot.
0: Now, North Korea is also changing its time zone to match South Korea's. Back in 2015, North Korea set its clocks back a half hour, and that became known as Pyongyang time. The move was made at the proposal of Kim Jong-un, who found it painful to see two clocks indicating different times on the wall of
2: the summit venue.
1: Yeah, that's right. Kim Jong-un moved his entire country's time forward half an hour. Clearly, somebody's watched Infinity War. Uh, it's also a dick move for anyone who had an appointment in North Korea. Like, you didn't, you didn't plan it, you just announced it out of nowhere. It's just like, hey, I'm here for the job interview. Sorry, so three o'clock didn't happen today. And, and you know what I realized this weekend? All right? We see Kim all the time, but we almost never hear him speak. <laughs> Okay, I don't care what anyone says. That's not his real voice. Yeah, that is not how he speaks. Dude is totally pulling a Batman right now. He knows everyone's watching and he's like, we have got to have peace in Gotham. i mean, North Korea. Alfred, I need the Batmobile and the 12 guys running next to it. Now look, whatever the reason was, it was nice to see Kim Jong-un getting along with someone for a change. In fact, Kim and President Moon got along so well, uh, it gave us an idea for a new dating site.
2: Being a dictator can be lonely. Nobody understands you. You work long hours, and you've had all your relatives killed. You may wonder if there's anyone for you. Well, wonder no more. At OKCommander.com, we'll set you up with world leaders of all types. Leaders you can meet with, plant trees, take long walks on bridges, and hold hands for a very, very long time. So log on to OKCommander.com. You've got nothing to lose but your nukes. That's
1: love, man. That's love. Now, if the North Korea talks end up in Kim actually giving up his nukes, this would be one of the greatest peace deals we've ever seen brokered. Which is why, believe it or not, South Korea's president says that President Trump deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Because he says this never would have happened if Trump hadn't played bad cop, you know? Like, really bad cop. Like, worst cop ever. Like, (laughs) like, I'll let you borrow my gun for $5 cop. (laughs) And Trump winning the Nobel Peace Prize, or any prize, is an idea that MAGA supporters really love. I remember, you know, it was very rough three, four months ago. Bill, <ICEOVER> no. That's Ooh, very nice. Nobel. <laughs> you know, that, that has to be the world's first Nobel Peace Prize chance. <laughs> Like, that's how rowdy Trump's crowds are, though. They'll chant anything. They'll be at a funeral like, condolences, condolences, <laughs> condolences. Always in our hearts, always in our hearts. <laughs> and now look, I understand. Some people argue that Trump didn't actually do much, but South Korea's president, he doesn't care, right? He's happy to share the glory. And Trump agrees with him, except for the share parts. I had one of the fake news groups this morning. Now, they were
2: saying, What do you think uh, President Trump had to do with it? I'll tell you what, like how about everything?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I hope they have a Nobel Prize for humility too because this guy, he just killed the game. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the poetry editor at The New Yorker and director of the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture and author of a new book of poetry called Brown. Please welcome Kevin Young.
2: Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
1: A beautiful book of poems with a a title that says so much,
2: Brown. Why the title Brown? I was thinking of all kinds of brownness. Uh, James Brownness, um, John Brown, um, also Linda Brown uh, of Brown v. Board. Right. Who uh, played piano at my church in Topeka, Kansas growing up. Oh, wow. So she was, you know, right there. And I, I learned at an early age that history, you know, she was part of the case that changed our whole nation and right. you know, desegregated our schools and so much more. Um, and there was history right in front of me singing. So she was a beautiful singer and a beautiful person. Right, it, it's a name that many people
1: have in America, a name that many people adopted a name that many people were given. But in many ways, brown in America signifies so much. You know, Brown can determine uh, what kind of job a person gets. Brown can determine what schools you go to. Brown can determine what type of loans you can get. Is that why Brown
2: was so important for you when writing about, I guess, black culture and the black experience in this book of poems? Yeah, absolutely. It had many resonances. I just love the word, of course. But also, I thought a lot about, you know, how can I go from prince to the personal, you know? Which is what I get into in the book. And I was thinking a lot about history. I'm obsessed with uh, the music of history and the history of music, and both those things came together in that book and in that word. Right. When you, when you write your poems, I mean, like, some poems are
1: extremely, extremely short, and then others span pages. Does, does this just come to you, like, where you go, like, oh, no, this is two lines, and then I'm done? Or did you, do you quit, or are you, are you thinking about it from the beginning? Like, how do you, how do you plan the poem? Because there's, like, there's one poem here, it was, it was my favorite one. It was, a, it was an ode to Big Pun and it was basically just two lines.
2: Yeah, Ode to Big Pun. I mean, you know, he has that great song, I'm not a player, right. I'm not a player, I just crush a lot. Uh, and so I was thinking about it, and I just decided to say, I'm not a prayer, I just wish a lot. Right. Um, so that's my Ode to Big Pun. Right, and if, if, you, if you love Big and Pun... And it's also pun, you know, it's a pun, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be so... <laughs> am I being too obvious? You you, you you have poems like that. You also wrote a poem
1: entitled Money Road, uh, which centers around Emmett Till. Yeah. And, you know, the Emmett Till story took an interesting twist. I mean, not a twist for some, but for others, where uh, the woman who was the reason he he got into trouble came out and said, hey, I lied. She said on her deathbed, I lied. He did not do anything. You wrote a poem in this book before that happened, and in the poem you said, uh, did he whistle? You said, whistled or smiled or did nothing. Was that just... Prophetic, or was it something that you always believed? Was it something that is tied into brownness as a whole? Just the idea of being falsely accused.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of brownness. I mean, um, I am shocked that we believe. We realize that obviously lynching was terrible, and he was lynched supposedly for saying something. Right. But why did we even believe this little part of the story? You know, I think it comes up in Starbucks. You know, they had to do something wrong. Um, we, we are. It's hard for us to believe that. You know, racism could be uh, full of blame, and the person receiving the brunt of it could have nothing, to, no blame. You know? Right. Well, as as someone who studies black culture, a lot of people are confused by what that means. Sure. Like, what is black culture? Does it have a culture unto itself, or is it culture that comes from African, Caribbean, sure. etc.? Well, race is a, you know, a fiction, but racism isn't. (laughs) So there's that. But then there's also blackness um, comes from African culture, the mix of Caribbean culture. What I love about the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture is we study global black culture and experience. Right. We've been in Harlem for 93 years, and we were part of the first Harlem Renaissance. And we're thinking about the new renaissance that's happening now in film and poetry and art. Um, and to be able to think about it holistically—that's how I think about culture.
1: When uh, you when you look at Kanye West now, does that is that is that a part of black culture? How does that qualify? I mean, I'm until saying until like an last in week.
2: This. Until last week he was, but now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I mean I think we have a big tent. I mean that's what's really interesting. There right. is this big tradition of black conservatism, of course, but there's also a tradition of humaneness, uh-huh. um, uh, of thinking about everyone under this, this aegis. I mean, that's why I love that it's the research, uh, Charmix Center for Research in Black Culture. Right. It's thinking not just about African American, uh, not just of African, but the African diaspora as well. And, uh, you know, we, we love having you as part of our, <laughs> our, our uh, you know, dreams. Let me ask you this before I
1: let you go. Um, Brown, poems. It's a book that encompasses so much, and it's, 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 it's beautiful storytelling. It, it speaks to Brown, not from the inside, but from, from all sides, I feel. Sure. Someone reads this book. They read the poems. What is the one thing you
2: wish they would take away from this? What is the story you want to tell? I think it's a story about America and about history and how history is both personal and public. And for me, we're swimming in it. You know, right. It's like we're fish, we don't know we're wet. But how do we think about history, maybe in an active way? Um, for me, looking back at growing up in Kansas and having Linda Brown there, it meant a lot to realize uh. that I was in a place that Langston Hughes also had lived and uh, you know, coming from a place unlikely like Kansas, right. um, but it was filled with blackness and brownness. It's a fantastic book. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Brown
1: is available now. Kevin Young, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. And
2: follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.
0: AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes and make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.